1: Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. We have to have this debate in Congress about whether we should be in places like Afghanistan.
2: This Taliban has changed. We've got to hold them accountable. We'll see how they govern.
1: Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. The infrastructure bill will create jobs
3: that we desperately need in this country, good-paying jobs. We need to go all out to a green, renewable economy and all of the infrastructure to make that happen.
1: Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. It's like there's another layer every day in Washington. Infrastructure, the budget, ad reconciliation, then it was evictions, then, of course, Afghanistan, and now Texas. The White House weighs in on Texas' new abortion law along with members of Congress. And we'll talk next with Representative Lori Trahan, Democrat from Massachusetts, about a possible legislative response and later we'll discuss it with Bloomberg Supreme Court reporter Greg Store and thank you for joining us on Bloomberg Sound On. Most people woke up to the news of the Supreme Court ruling allowing the new Texas abortion law to stand at least for now. Democrats are looking for options from the DOJ from Congress and that is where we start with Representative Lori Trahan Democrat from Massachusetts Congresswoman welcome to Bloomberg Radio.
4: Thank you for having me.
1: You're calling the Texas abortion law the greatest threat to women's reproductive rights in decades. You tweeted, we must use every tool possible to defeat it. What tools do you have in Congress?
4: Well, first, I'll start by saying the Texas abortion ban is the greatest threat to women's reproductive rights in decades, full stop. I mean, the, the Supreme Court's inaction to protect the precedent, it's set in Roe v. Wade, is shameful. Um, In Congress, you know, I think what that means that, uh, well, first, I I do, I believe that we must use every tool possible to defeat this assault on women's reproductive rights. And I believe in Congress that means enacting legislation that will preempt uh, the Texas abortion ban and laws that are certain to emerge in Republican-controlled states uh, in the coming months. You know, I'm a strong supporter of the Women's Health Protection Act, uh, which will protect the right to access abortion care throughout the entire country, no matter what state you're in. Um, and there's no question that codifying Roe is necessary uh, in the wake of the Supreme courts inaction. Uh, and this legislation will, will get us there.
1: I noticed your colleague, Congressman Jim McGovern was also pushing for representative Judy Chu's women's health protection act. Is that the venue then yeah. that Democrats will use?
4: Absolutely. Uh, it's, you know, it is the, um, the piece of legislation that will protect uh, You know, women's access to abortion care, uh, uh, you know, federally uh, on a national scale so that, you know, this isn't a patchwork of, you know, wherever a woman lives uh, determines what kind of health care she's going to receive. And so, yeah, I think you're going to hear, you know, all of the co-sponsors, of which there are, are many, are our caucus uh talking about moving that piece of legislation in the wake of this uh of this Texas abortion ban
1: do you expect this will come back to the supreme court or do you not plan to wait
4: you know i don't think we can wait i mean time is of the essence right now laws are being enacted today that are going to strip women of the rights but the supreme court uh has you know held up over time with roe v wade i mean i'm i guess i'm not shocked uh that The Supreme Court's in action, um, uh, you know, in terms of letting this this ban go through. Uh, You know, there are legislators who gaslighted the American people by telling them that Roe was safe, while simultaneously confirming Trump-appointed judges he promised would overturn the landmark legislation. They should be ashamed, Uh, and I think that's why we can't wait another day. You know, Congress needs to use every tool possible to defeat this assault on on women's reproductive rights.
1: Congresswoman Trehan, you co-sponsored legislation to award the Congressional Gold Medal to Sergeant Johani Rosario Picardo of Lawrence, Mass., and her fellow service members who were killed in the bombing last week in Afghanistan. When do you yeah. see that happening?
4: Well, we are certainly pushing to have a vote on that as soon as possible. I mean, I, I don't think we can talk about Afghanistan without first acknowledging that You know, the longest war in our nation's history is finally over, uh, and we are forever indebted to the brave service members who answered the call over the past two decades, including those uh, who uh, executed the largest airlift in U.S. history in recent weeks, but certainly um, for the 13 uh, soldiers who made the ultimate sacrifice last week, protecting uh, vulnerable Americans and our allies, who are trying to get to safety. Uh, you know, I've been—I was at a candlelight vigil two uh, nights ago for Sergeant Johani uh, Rosario Pichardo. Uh, I have the honor of representing her and her entire family, um, and each of them are heroes. And it—it falls—it it falls to us now to, uh, to to continue their mission, getting our remaining allies to safety. Um, but to do so without further endangering uh, American service members and, frankly, honoring that sacrifice that um, uh, that those 13 service members made.
1: Have you spoken then with her family, and, and do you support the president's withdrawal from Afghanistan?
4: I do. Uh, I, I, so I have spent time uh, with the family. I mean, there's nothing harder uh, than losing a, a 25-year-old woman who's committed her life to uh, servicing uh, or serving her country, uh, giving the ultimate sacrifice. I mean, it was uh, it was hard. You know, a, a bright light was extinguished uh, in our community and, uh, and not, we'll never be able to fully repay Jahani or her family for their sacrifice. But I, I think that right now, you know, we, we have a president who has done, uh, frankly, what, you know, four preceding presidents have not done, uh, which is end this war, uh, which is overwhelmingly, you know, a majority of Americans agree with him on that. And so, uh, you know, I I believe that, you know, when the the president talks about a successful mission, he's talking about in the last 17 days alone, more than 124,000 people, Americans, Afghan partners, and allies from around the world airlifted to safety and uh, assuring that we would not enter a third decade of a war that's gone on too
1: long people who support the president uh, whether it's in congress or or beyond congresswomen seem to look at this in two different ways the, the the idea of ending the war good the way the withdrawal was handled bad and as you serve on the house subcommittee on oversight and investigations i wonder mm-hmm. if, if you're preparing for hearings on how the withdrawal was executed
4: Yes, certainly uh you know we've sat in briefings with um with the leadership uh and with the administration to hear uh about the the evacuation of of Americans and of our Afghan allies and going to continue to do that i mean certainly whenever you uh execute a mission like this, you want to wring out all of the lessons um so that historically we can we can learn from them. I think that right now uh, it's important for us to recognize that the war in Afghanistan is over. that was a necessary first step in ending two decades of war of pain of sacrifice. but let's be clear, you know that doesn 't mean our foreign policy goals are over you know we We must you know learn from these past twenty years we have to set missions with clear, achievable goals and ones that don't plunge hundreds of thousands of American service members back into a war with no end date. And I think the president has laid out those goals uh, in terms of a roadmap going forward. You know, we're going to continue hunting down those who engage in terrorism against us and our allies, and and they will pay the ultimate price. We're going to continue supporting the Afghan people through diplomacy, uh, international influence, humanitarian aid. Uh, you know, we're going we're to continue to push for regional diplomacy engagement to prevent violence and instability, and, and we're going to continue to speak out the basic rights of the Afghan people, especially women and girls, as we do around the world, and, and we'll continue to keep human rights at the center of our foreign policy, not through endless military deployment, but with mm-hmm diplomacy, economic tools, and us rallying our allies
1: in the world. Kevin McCarthy, the Republican leader uh, in the House, has promised to make this a major campaign issue in the midterms, and he seems to be in lockstep with his caucus on that. As, as you debate uh, the next defense authorization uh, spending bill here, the annual spending bill, do you think any authorization of force should come with an end date?
4: You know, so I've been a huge proponent of ending uh, uh, or having you know Congress reestablish, um, you know, its authority in how we uh, authorize our use of military force. It's getting
1: pretty long in the tooth. Uh,
4: <laughs> absolutely, and we, we can't we can't allow that uh, you know to continue. Um, and I think that's why so many of us are on the record. Uh, in terms of you know ending the AUMF uh, in, in Iraq and in Afghanistan, yes, of course we're going to debate this as we head into the ND, uh, NDAA. Kevin McCarthy is going to politicize this just as he has every other issue um, in the Congress. But really, what we're going to do is we're going to look at facts. We're going to engage in responsible policymaking, and I think that's what. Democrats stand for. Uh, and that's what we're going to continue to do. Look, we just went through 18 months of uh, Republicans politicizing, you know, the COVID public health crisis. And we're paying a huge price right now for that with the Delta variant taking people's lives where we shouldn't be losing any lives because we have the solution in a in a vaccine. I understand, you know, Kevin McCarthy wants to be Speaker of the House. He's going to do whatever it takes he can to, you know, win that majority. But I think what we have to continue doing is responsible policymaking based on facts that based on lessons learned and uh, in doing what's right to the American people.
1: Congresswoman Lori Trahan, Democrat from Massachusetts. Many thanks for being with us on Bloomberg Radio.
3: Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at steeple.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com.
1: Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Headline on the op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, why I won't support spending another three and a half trillion. That's Joe Manchin writing that senator from West Virginia and the subhead amid inflation debt and the inevitability of future crises. Congress, he says, needs to take a strategic pause. And we look at the calendar, the 2nd of September. Committees in the House are supposed to have their work done by the 15th on reconciliation. This was just getting going for real. And so we talk about it with the panel. Bloomberg political contributors Rick Davis, Jeannie Shea and Zeno. Thanks to both of you for being here, as always. Jeannie, did Joe Manchin just torpedo this whole thing? We understand, of course, that bipartisan infrastructure doesn't go anywhere in the House unless they get reconciliation done.
5: He is really trying to torpedo it, and he is not alone. We've heard similar things from Kristen Sinema, but as we've all been talking about for what seems like months now, this is what he has said all along. He allowed this to go forward, but he was never supportive of a three-point-five-trillion-dollar plan. Kristen Cinema has expressed the same, yep. and that was always the reality of this. So, you know, I thought reading his uh, his his op-ed that he made a really important point that reflects what many moderates both Democrat and Republicans feel, which is that this idea of reverse engineering, that you establish a number and then you figure out how you're going to spend that number. Mm -hmm. And for most of us, we budget the other way, right? We decide what we need. We decide how much we can spend. And then we see- That's real life, yeah. Yeah, that's real life. So for many Americans, I think this will resonate, but of course it creates a huge headache for Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi.
1: Well, that's for sure. Uh, Rick, I can only imagine what we're gonna hear tomorrow from progressives on this as joe manchin writes by placing a strategic pause on this budgetary proposal by significantly reducing the size of any possible reconciliation bill to only what america can afford and needs to spend we can build a stronger nation for our families he goes on to write more uh this has been a very delicate dance for the democratic leadership and if everybody moves to one side of the boat here this whole thing could tip over right
6: that's right, uh, Joe. I think you, you really point out an incredibly important debate that's happening inside the Democratic Party, both in the House and the Senate. Nancy Pelosi, the speaker, barely got the resolution through to go to reconciliation, uh, and she had to buy off the uh, the moderate caucus within her, her party in order to do so by promising a vote on the 27th of September on, on the uh, – on the infrastructure bill, but between now and then, as you point out, September 15th is the first deadline, and right now, uh, the House could pass this bill, uh, but it would be dead on arrival in the Senate based on what Joe
1: Manchin said today. But Jeannie, Joe Manchin wants that bipartisan infrastructure bill. He, he talked about it as, as a great supporter, having been involved in the deal that was struck. Uh, he knows, I'm assuming that that will not pass the House if reconciliation doesn't happen? Or or does he know better? Is he calling their bluff?
5: Well, he, he does know. Um, and you're right, he's been incredibly supportive of the bipartisan bill. And we do need infrastructure spending. He's pointing out, obviously, how much and on what. But I do think that this is one of the things that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Shermore will be able to use to potentially come to a sort of resolution if it's possible on this and to keep him and Kristen cinema on board which will be we've got to negotiate so i think what we are likely see is something closer to a two trillion two and a half trillion dollar plan that they'll be able to say yes to yeah. then they're going to have to struggle to keep the progressives on board and wait and see what gets cut out of that is going to be the big fight for the progressives
1: you know who else i'm thinking of right now rick josh Gottheimer the moderate Democrat who wrote the op-ed with his nine colleagues that said, time kills deals. This is why they wanted to pass the bipartisan infrastructure deal before the reconciliation debate, because that was the Wild West.
6: Yeah. And boy, was he prescient in that. Uh, Look at what's happened since that vote. And, And one of them is Hurricane Ida. I mean, if there is a argument for infrastructure spending, it's the hurricane that just blasted through the South and Northeast. Um, uh, That would be actually something this administration could point to and say, hey, look, you know, I've got a trillion dollars ready to go to fix up those communities and make sure that the uh, hurricanes like that in the future aren't going to be able to create the damage and death and destruction that that occurred this time around. Uh, State after state is already saying in their press, oh, this bridge needs to be fixed. Ah, that road's going to get repaired. I mean, the momentum for infrastructure is now it's today. If the Democrats let this fade until the 27th, uh, I think they run the risk of of their own party imploding. One of the things that's probably incredibly important to their
1: prospects uh, in the future. There's a lot on the line here. This is the stuff that's going to keep Joe Biden up at night. I, I can only assume, Jeannie. So what's the leadership do right now? I, I can only guess you've got a phone call in the very near future with the president, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi.
5: I think the White House, you know, they've been sidetracked by, obviously, these crises, Afghanistan, and then also, as Rick was just talking about, the hurricane, which continues. Um, But I think they have to get back on track in their messaging on infrastructure. They've got to make the case that these investments most americans republican democrats they can go out of their house and know they're needed we see that with ida in the last few days and of course they've got to say this is an investment in jobs and the economy i think that message keeps moderates on board maybe not at 3.5 trillion but somewhere in there so i think the messaging is going to be key they've gotten off track not their fault because they've gotten sidetracked by everything else. But I think and hope they get back on track on that. Keep the moderates on board and try to make sure the progressives see this. They can't get everything they want, but they're going to get a lot more than they will after this midterm happens in 2022, and they are potentially out of power.
1: Welcome to the Thursday is it already Thursday edition of Bloomberg Sound On. We'll call it Little Friday. As I read from Greg's store on the Terminal, With the court set to consider overturning the landmark Roe v. Wade case in coming months, the 5-4 decision stands as an ominous sign for the fate of constitutional abortion rights. Greg is with us now. I appreciate your being here, Greg. We had a chance to talk a little bit earlier on balance of power, and I'd like to push this forward a bit because it is likely that this will come back to the Supreme Court. Can you explain why? Well, there are a couple ways it could come
2: back to the court. It could come back in in the Texas case because that Uh, This is just an interim order that said the law can go into effect while the litigation goes forward. And then you have this case uh, that the court is already planning on hearing arguments in. It's a Mississippi case involving uh, a ban after 15 weeks of pregnancy. And in that case, Mississippi is asking the court to overturn Roe v. Wade. So sometime in the next year, we're going to get the court saying whether it will indeed do that.
1: One of the things that struck me uh, as I read through this law is that it's enforced by individuals. So now we're, we're in a scenario in which neighbors could be potentially suing neighbors, but not the actual woman who sought the abortion. Correct. It would be those who helped her get one.
2: That's right. So it, it could be uh, you know, somebody who drove, drove her to, to the place where she got it. It could be somebody who set up an appointment uh, or it could be the clinic that, that performed the abortion. But no, it does not make the woman herself uh, liable. And uh, that means that a woman could actually uh, perform the abortion herself or uh, travel herself to another state and, and there wouldn't be any liability.
1: So that's likely to happen, right? Everyone will just leave Texas to get this done.
2: Well, I'm not sure everyone, uh, uh, certainly women who can afford it and want an abortion and have access to, 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 to going somewhere uh, will, will consider doing that. But abortion rights advocates say, you know, an awful lot of the people are poor and they don't have the ability to just pick up and, and fly to some other state sure. to, to, uh, to, to get an abortion.
1: And I don't mean to suggest that everyone does have the means to do that. But in terms of uh, this, this citizen uh, enforcement, Apparently, as I'm reading now in the Houston Chronicle, uh, a conservative group has actually set up a tip website where people can can you know anonymously name suspected violators of the law and and many are using it to troll the group. They're putting up pictures of Shrek and all kinds of other stuff. But this is just a sense, Greg, of where this is going.
2: Yeah and you know one of the aspects of this law there there's a lot of things that abortion rights groups uh, say is, is really nefarious about this law but one of it is that um if uh, you sue somebody uh under this law and you lose you don't have to pay their attorney attorney's fees but Um, If you are sued and you and you lose, you do have to pay the other side's attorney's fees. So uh, financially, there's more risk to somebody who is sued than somebody who sues. And that's part of the reason why you're seeing uh, these groups be so aggressive uh, uh, about uh, looking for people.
1: Greg, we talked earlier this hour with Congresswoman Lori Trahan, a Democrat from Massachusetts, uh, who is one of many uh, members of Congress Democrats who are. Circling around this bill, the Women's Health Protection Act by Representative Judy Chu, this would ban laws like these. Not likely to pass, but if it did, would that be the end of this story as opposed to waiting for the Supreme Court potentially to rule again?
2: I'm not sure. I haven't had a chance to really look closely at that. Uh, I just wonder if any
1: legislation would simply prompt more court cases.
2: Uh, I think it would certainly prompt more court cases and it may uh, prompt uh, anti-abortion states to look for other avenues to uh, en- enact measures like this. Certainly uh, most constitutional scholars would say Congress has the ability to, to step in and set national rules for abortion, that that is something mm-hmm. uh, that, that uh, the federal government could do. Uh, it just hasn't had the, the will so far.
1: You spend a lot of time uh, covering the Supreme Court, obviously. This was crafted, this law was crafted very carefully to evade a court ruling or at least allow it to take effect before courts could act. How did they accomplish that?
2: Yeah, well, a big part of it is that that bit about private enforcement. So normally, if, if a state passes a law and you think it's unconstitutional, you just sue the state or you sue the official who would be in charge of implementing or enforcing the law. Um... Here, there is no uh, state official or or local government official who has any power to file a lawsuit or or press criminal charges against somebody who's involved in an abortion. Uh, So you're left trying to, to, to sue individuals, and in the case that was at the Supreme Court, uh, they did sue an individual who, who, who the group said had, had threatened to file lawsuits. Um, and he's saying, oh, I'm not going to file any lawsuits. And even if you were to get an injunction against that person, that wouldn't preclude other people from going after somebody who was involved in an abortion. So there's not the kind of me- easy mechanism to, uh, for a court to jump in and say, hey, state of Texas or, or Harris County, you cannot enforce this law.
1: Bloomberg government reporting that the Texas abortion law is sparking copycat consideration in Florida. Is that the next leg in this story, Greg, that many other conservative leaning states will try to do the same?
2: Yeah, this this story may have a number of legs, and that's certainly one of them. Uh, you know, it, it's important to just back up for a second and say the Supreme Court did not say either that this law is constitutional yep. or that the procedure here uh, I- I is okay, that that this whole private enforcement me- mechanism I- is, is legal. Um, it just let the law go into effect. So we don't have an absolute pronouncement on that. Having said that, though by letting the law go into effect, the the court sort of signaled uh, we don't have a massive problem with this law, not massive enough that we're going to jump in and stop it. So they did create something of a roadmap, certainly one that that conservative states are going to think about taking advantage of.
1: Smart take, as always, from Bloomberg Supreme Court reporter Greg Storrs. Had a long day and I appreciate it, Greg. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The Texas abortion law has occupied quite a bit of time today in Washington. It certainly loomed large in the White House briefing as Press Secretary Jen Psaki was asked about President Biden's stand on this as, of course, a man of God, a Catholic. This is how it went. Why does the president support abortion when his own Catholic faith teaches abortion
4: is morally wrong? He believes that it's a woman's right, it's a woman's body, and it's her choice. Why
3: does the president, who does he believe, then should look out for the unborn child?
4: He believes that it's up to a woman to make those decisions, uh, and up to a woman to make those decisions with her doctor. I know you've never faced those choices, <laughs> nor have you ever been pregnant, but for women out there who have faced those choices, this is an incredibly difficult thing. The president believes their rights should be respected. Well, should Go be ahead. ahead. Yes. I think we've got to move yes. on. Yes. I think we have to move I on. Mean, you've had plenty I've of time today. Go ahead. Time. Wow.
1: And so we bring in the panel Bloomberg political contributors Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano with us for the hour. Jeannie, what do you do with that? This is the first day uh, that this uh, has been in effect with the Supreme Court ruling. This is going to start snowballing. We just talked about infrastructure potentially falling apart with Joe Manchin. This becomes a bigger issue all the while. How does the White House, how does the Democratic leadership in Washington handle it?
5: Uh, you know, we knew abortion was going to be a huge issue this fall as the Supreme Court had already taken that Mississippi case that challenges uh, abortion or, or asks for the overturning of Roe. Um, I don't think many of us predicted this Texas case coming up so quickly and bringing it to the forefront, forefront but that has certainly happened. And it raises, you know, a real challenge, not just for the White House, um, and I think that Gensaki handled those questions very well, but it raises, I think, questions for Congress. What do they do? You talked about the Women's Health Protection Act. Another novel approach is for them to try to remove the court's appellate jurisdiction, which they can do and haven't done for many, many years, but they could do that. So Congress does have some options, because what we're starting to see in the United States is that the party out of power, Republicans who are out of power at the federal level, have an enormous outsized power at the state level, and they are using it In many ways, not only on abortion, but on voting rights and other things. That means that Washington, both Congress and the White House has to step up. And I think Democrats in the White House and Congress are prepared to do that. But it's going to be difficult to pass that legislation.
1: The Women's Health Protection Act—it's called—Jen Psaki was asked about that too.
5: He does intend
4: to talk with them about this, um, I, so I, I can't—I can't tell you exactly when that will be, but that is, he has every intention to do that. I will note that Speaker Pelosi also put out a statement about the intention to uh, bring up the codification of Roe up for a vote, which is something the president certainly supports and would be eager to sign into law.
1: Asked if President Biden had spoken with Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer about this. Rick Davis, we're talking about really sensitive stuff, right? This is the third rail issue it has been for over a generation. I'll probably get dinged on Twitter for this just for talking about it out loud. But this is our job here. This is what we do. And it's not going to get easier for the White House. What if you were in that position as a press secretary taking questions on this? It's it's such a personal matter, Rick.
6: It's a personal matter, but I think that she accelerated the personal side of it rather than trying to keep it focused on a public policy debate. Uh, look, we've never reconciled this issue in the public domain. Uh, it's divided our country, as you say, for a generation. Uh, but I think we've got to be careful not to you know, get too defensive on it. Um, look, I mean, uh, the, the pope who guides Catholics all around the world uh, has really made this a very big issue, especially in Europe, Uh, But the president has taken criticism, as have other Democrats who are Catholics, uh, for not reconciling themselves on on this issue of abortion. And so Mm -hmm. it's a legitimate question Um, to then throw it back on, you know, like, um, well, if you're not a woman, you can't have a point of view on this uh, was a little bit, I thought, harsh. But look, this is a White House that's under siege. Right. Think about the week they've had. Yeah. Um, You know, I mean, the, 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 the defensive nature of the president's speech on Afghanistan trickled down throughout the staff. Um, You know, they've got a a hurricane now that has uh, destroyed uh, uh, people's lives all through the country. Right. And 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 that was uh, uh, something that they've had to deal with that will be the topic tomorrow. But they've also got the border crisis that's been ongoing, you know, the public school debate, um, uh, vaccine hesitancy. I mean, all these topics are every single day crises within the White House. And they're just going to have to find a way to be able to manage through them without getting so defensive, because otherwise I think they're going to continue to make their world smaller rather than create more influence uh, uh, around the country.
1: So what's the strategy then, Rick? Again, if you're in if you're in the press office getting ready for that briefing tomorrow, you're talking to the president. How do we communicate our position on this? What should it be?
6: Yeah, look, they, they control a huge federal government with lots of resources, right? We saw what they could do when they mobilized to campaign on the infrastructure bill, right? Uh, you had cabinet members hitting the, the, the countryside. Um, and, and, and you'll notice a decidedly sort of withdrawing of all that activity, uh, uh, you know, in the last couple of weeks. And, and, and by the way, partly because of what we're seeing in the White House, uh, you, you've got eroding public, public polling data on the president's job approval. Um, it's it's it, he was plus 12 percent on job approval three months ago, and now he's you know minus 10 percent. I mean, a, it's a huge 20 point swing uh, in a, in in just three months. So uh, they've got to mobilize the resources they have of the federal government. It's enormous. They can do it. They they have the skill sets inside the White House to do that. But the, but right now, I see them becoming sort of bunkered in.
1: Jeannie, you were complimentary uh, about the way Jan Saki. Uh, kind of disarmed that reporter, but but the president's going to have to talk about this at some point. And when he starts talking about controversial issues, starts picking reporters, the back and forth starts, things can get, uh, well, you know, out of hand pretty quickly. How do you advise Joe Biden to talk about this issue as a Catholic?
5: I think he should focus on the facts. And the facts are that Texas has passed a law which says that you cannot get an abortion after six weeks, even in the case of rape rape and incest. Most women don't even know they're pregnant at six weeks. I think he can focus on the facts of how draconian this law is and how, as Rick is talking about polls, most moderate Americans, most Americans as overall, don't support those kinds of draconian measures. And the other reality of this is that if Texas passes this law, the impact is going to be on poor women who can't afford to go over the border and get an abortion. He should focus on that fact as well. And it's not just the White House under siege, it's also the Supreme Court. John Roberts joining with the liberals because he's an institutionalist and he knows if the Supreme Court, makes a case on abortion overturning Roe as they are going to be faced with doing potentially in this Mississippi case coming down the pike. They can be back at the times of losing their legitimacy like they were with Dred Scott, like they were knocking down the New Deal and Korematsu. That's a dreadful position for the Supreme Court to be in. So I think Joe Biden can focus on the facts here and the facts are on his side, leaving aside his his religion and the private matter of how he chooses to practice his religion.
1: Rick, uh, Jen Psaki was also asked about the makeup of the court and a study that's going on right now that is soon uh, to be concluded that the administration is looking at in terms of the makeup of the court. They're talking about term limits, all kinds of things. Does this prompt Joe Biden to try to add justices?
6: You know, uh, it's been hotly debated, especially by the progressives in his party. And and, and he's going to probably face a reconciliation of that at some point in time. But, but if, you, if you try to pack the court, you're going to involve a lot of other topics that's mm-hmm. far more ranging than, than the abortion topic that, that's discussed today. I mean, th- this state law is going to see the light of day when it comes to uh, legal challenges. Uh, the court gave a avenue for it to be uh, challenged challenge uh, uh, once it goes into effect. But uh, the reality is that uh, the minute you start breaking open big topics like court packing, Um, uh, I think moderates in his own party start to run for the hills. And that's the thing. How do you keep that crazy coalition of moderate Democrats who are causing trouble Mm -hmm. for his administration on things like infrastructure and reconciliation? Uh, in line with uh, a progressive group uh, who, frankly, have had their way with this administration for the first, you know, eight months of the year. And, uh, and, and how do you how do you broker that compromise within your own party? I mean, Republicans can sit on the sidelines right now and just sort of watch this happen and think, you know, we can bide our time until the midterms.
1: Mm-hmm. What do you think about this, Jeannie? Joe Biden, the candidate, was asked about that almost every day on the campaign trail.
5: He was. And, you know, I think he is facing pressure. I, I, I don't think court packing is necessarily the way to go. I advocate a more novel approach of removing the court's jurisdiction when it comes to these appellate issues. I think that is something Congress hasn't tried. But I also want to just go back and and be realistic about what the court said. And, And you talked about this earlier, which is they did, even in that one paragraph, unsigned order, they said the providers had raised serious questions regarding the constitutionality of the law. And they did not side with either side. So I think there is still... A little bit of hope here for people who think this law may not withstand should it come up again and I also would point to what John Roberts had to say was he said this is such a novel question and the way that they've gone about this taking the states essentially out of it that he would have stopped it for those reasons so I think there are other sort of great signs here if you will on what the court may do.
1: Bloomberg political contributors, Jeannie Shanzano, Rick Davis, thanks as always as we round out another Bloomberg Sound on the fastest hour in politics. Do we get another layer tomorrow? We will get the jobs report in the morning. We'll talk about it with the labor secretary. But don't forget, the Friday news dump looms. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg.